Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. To the women of death row wow the podcast i'm amanda i'm marielle that was an actual introduction that wow. we didn't have to clip from the end to put it at the beginning i know like last time which you couldn't even tell could not even I was like, tell oh, that's professional it's very nice who did did you do that yeah nice. wow look mm-hmm. at you mm-hmm. well hello how's it going uh it's going so we're recording in amanda's living room right now and it's different than my room as far as like acoustics and such. So we're pretty much eating the mic right now. Yeah. So it's very close. I can't move my neck. Therefore, I can't drive anywhere. But this is how dedicated we are. We are doing this anyway. So yes, we wanted to have like a new year episode, whatever, just to end 2019 and then begin anew in 2020 holy shit do you remember the new millennium in 2000 i still remember that party we went to with googie and everything our grandma do you remember 2000s party yeah it was like a new millennium party really yeah i don't remember that i remember being at mom's house in the front yard with 2000 sparklers you might be thinking of a party before it must have okay so the new millennium party was definitely a thing that happened, and we went with Googie, and it was a big Cuban thing. But maybe... There was also a Millennium Party in Never New- Been Kissed, and that was their prom. Were you thinking... <laughs> no, this happened. There's pictures. I believe you. I just don't remember. So, yeah. Anyways. Anyway. Are you going to go... Who went first? I don't know. I can. I'll yes. go, f- I'll go yeah, first. because you did Lizzie Halliday last time. Oh, yeah. Which was zero intention on a pun for the holiday holiday name. Like, but it worked out because but I it was like, worked. oh, I can use that as a title. Yeah, I'm going to sit on the couch and just lean forward. Deal. Um, I might do that, too. All right. So this is the story of Amelia Carr. Ever heard of her? Can you hear me? So um, my sources include I watched an episode of Prison Diaries from TLC and then this one was specifically um, about women on death row. And then in this particular documentary series, um, Amelia Carr was interviewed along with her friends and family. And then the victim, Heather Strong, was um, her family and friends were also interviewed. I also watched an ABC News Diane Sawyer interview. Amelia Carr was interviewed then in, um, I think it was twenty. 20- 16 and another woman who was on they were the two youngest women on death rows who were interviewed so amelia carr was one of 63 women awaiting execution in the united states and when she was 23 years old she was convicted of first degree murder and sentenced to death on february 22nd 2011 for the murder of heather strong who was 26 years old heather strong i know that Mm -hmm. name you might know this story um so, in March 2009, Marion County, Florida sheriffs got a report that 26-year-old Heather Strong had not been seen since February 15th, 2009. 
So it had been roughly about a month since anyone saw Heather. She was last seen leaving her job as a server at a local truck stop. And they had like on some of the pictures of like a truck stop, one was the iron skillet. So I was thinking <laughs> throwback. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So Heather's family and friends knew something was wrong when um, Heather ultimately went silent It wasn't like her just to leave off the face of the earth. So they reported her missing to Marion County Police Department. At this time, she had been missing for about 30 days. Um, Heather's husband, 27-year-old Joshua Fulgham, reported to the sheriff's office that Heather had took off, leaving him with their two young kids. He didn't report her missing. Heather and Josh had been together for about 11 years, but they were only married for two months and they had recently separated. Together, they have two kids. Heather's family and friends were adamant that Heather would never leave her kids. Um, They described Heather fondly, especially her love for her kids and her sweet smile. One of her friends at work had this pretty endearing um, nickname, uh, Moonface Girl, because I guess she had a round face. (laughs) I can't remember that lady's name, but so... During the documentary, Heather's friends described Joshua Fulgham, her husband, as no good, son of a something, and a bully, and that he had a temper, so he was not popular. Well, Heather and Josh, they met when they were teenagers, and then they later got married in Mississippi before they moved on to Florida. And then according to Heather's family, Josh and Heather, you know, they have their share of problems. They were on again, off again. It was reported by Heather's two younger brothers that Josh was abusive and controlling, and by... February 2009, Heather shared with a work friend that she told Josh she is taking the kids and leaving. So obviously the friend was like, why would you not just, you know, leave? Why are you telling, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's the same lady that called her Moonface girl. Mm -hmm. Um, So the next day she didn't show up for her shift. Heather's friends and family reported knowing Josh had something to do with it. It being like the whole disappearance of Heather for that period of time. However, during the missing persons investigation of Heather, it was discovered that Josh had another woman in his life, 23-year-old Amelia Carr. The police also learned that the 30-day period prior to the missing persons report, Heather's husband had been using her. So Josh had been using Heather's debit cards and credit cards. And when he was brought in for questioning, by this time, Heather had already been gone a month. Detectives questioned Josh for hours and then he finally broke. He reported that he had nothing to do with the disappearance, but knew where her body was. According to a detective, Josh stated, quote, if you let me see my mom, I will tell you where Heather is. So he led the detectives um, 20 miles north to a secluded rundown area It was like a trailer park and it was like a plot and that was owned by um, Amelia's family. It was next to a storage area on the property. They found a shallow grave and buried and wrapped in like pine wood and wrap was Heather. Okay. So Amelia Carr was 23 years old during the time of the investigation and she was in school for massage therapy. She had two young kids from her first husband and another child with her second husband and she was eight months pregnant with Josh Fulgham's kid when she was interviewed by detectives. Oh. According to the documentary, during questions questioning by detectives, Amelia described her relationship jo- with Josh as like a quote-unquote fling. They had only been dating for about three months. However, detectives learned that Amelia and Josh were actually living together in that mobile home after Heather went missing. So Amelia reported to detectives that Heather had gone back to Mississippi to live with her parents. She also reported that she assumed everything was, quote-unquote, everything was fine, as one day Josh and Heather's daughter asked if she could call Heather, and Josh had said, you know, oh, she already called and checked on you while you girls were at school. Hmm. Yeah. 
snake. So while the crime scene on Amelia's property was being processed, um, detectors interviewed her. Amelia reported acting surprised that a body had been found, but they immediately smelled the BS. Mm. Amelia reported that she and Heather had a close relationship and bonded. And, you know, they were bonding about both being moms and having that relationship with Josh. However, the family and friends all tell a different story. Amelia and Heather were labeled as enemies. Josh would always go back to uh, Heather for the kids, and he kind of had the two of them like on one side of the other. So when things were bad with Heather, he'd go to Amelia and mm. blah, blah, blah. So Amelia claims that she never loved Josh or never had any love for any other man. And Amelia reported that her childhood consisted of, quote, responsibility, secrets, and sexual perversion. And when Amelia was five years old, this is really sad. Her father and grandfather began sexually abusing her. Yep. The abuse continued until she was 15. And Amelia didn't speak out until she turned 15 due to fear and concern for her younger sister who had some medical issues that Amelia cared for. Pieces of shit. Yeah. Amelia's father was arrested when Amelia was 15 for sexual abuse. And while he was in jail, he attempted to have her killed. Oh my god yeah this is in florida mm-hmm. he solicited a cellmate to kill the family in order to hide what he did dumbass yeah but <laughs> his plan was uncovered as he was convicted of solicitation to commit murder but get this he only served two years in prison and the sexual abuse charges were dropped what yeah does it say why i couldn't find anything what in the fuck that's disgusting shame on you Whatever county, Marion County? Marion County, Florida. Wow. So Amelia dropped out of school at age 15, and by age 17, she had her first child and was married. She described her first husband as quote-unquote good to her, but she couldn't, you know, reciprocate that. According to Eric Reppy, who was Amelia's first husband, he said, quote, Amelia was a liar and was not faithful. They divorced after having two kids. Amelia shared she had several, quote, unsuccessful and unemotional relationships with men. Amelia and Josh began hooking up when things were bad between Josh and Heather. Amelia became pregnant by Josh in June 2008. And while Josh and Heather were separated, Josh proposed to Amelia. Hmm. About a month later, Josh and Amelia had a falling out and he went back to Heather and then he and Heather got married. So just days after Heather and Josh got married, Heather filed a domestic violence charge Josh had pointed a shotgun at Heather, and Amelia reported that she and Heather would talk to each other about Josh's abuse, and Amelia reported that Heather was afraid to leave. Josh served one month in jail before Heather dropped the two charges, and then two weeks later, Heather goes missing. According to authorities, Amelia loved Josh, and Heather was in the way. After Josh led authorities to Heather's body, he confessed his part in the murder, and Josh shared that Amelia was the one that actually killed Heather. So Josh confessed to having lured Heather into the trailer onto Amelia's family property. When Amelia walked in, Heather knew she had been set up and attempted to escape. Mm. Josh and Amelia duct taped Heather's legs and duct taped her to a computer chair and duct taped her hands and arms to the chair. Authorities reported that Heather begged for her life while Josh told Heather she was not going to take his kids away. Because before she had told him that she was going to leave. So Josh confessed to attempting to break Heather's neck, but was not successful. So they put a bag over her head and taped it around her neck and then held her hands over her nose and mouth until she suffocated. And she, the cause of death ended up being asphyxiation. Oh, my God. 
So Josh Fulgham was charged with first-degree murder and for burying Heather's body. Authorities highly suspected Amelia played a role in Heather's death, but did not have concrete evidence leaking her to it. So they couldn't place her at the trailer. Amelia would call the sheriffs, though, asking about the case. You know, have they found anything? Blah, blah, blah. And ultimately asked for immunity for the information she had. So she said, I have information. I want immunity. She was kind of attempting to place herself as an informant rather than like a participant of the crime. Mm -hmm. Authorities then knew she would have to get creative. Well, the authorities would have to get creative to um, prove Amelia's participation. So what they did was Josh's sister, Michelle, called the sheriff's office reporting that Amelia had been contacting her to get information about the case. So she was trying to get information through Michelle. Authorities placed a wire in Michelle's car. And they gave Michelle a few pieces of details about the case, hoping that it would seem to Amelia that she had been talking to Josh mm-hmm. and um, hoping that the de- those details would get Amelia to start opening up. Michelle told Amelia, you know, tell me what happened. And Amelia began to tell the whole story on tape that Heather fought back. They taped her to the chair. They tried to snap her neck for, quote, to be quick and painless. Jesus. And they put the bag over her head. Amelia reported that while burying Heather, Josh could barely look at her, could barely look at Heather's body, would cry or throw up. He asked Amelia to wrap Heather's head into a a blanket because he couldn't look at her. Mm. So authorities then had enough information. And on March 24th, 2009, Amelia Carr was booked for first degree murder and was facing the death penalty of convicted. But there's more. Hang on. And Amelia's like eight months pregnant? Yeah, she was when the detectives interviewed her, she was eight months pregnant. So this had been a month earlier because Heather went missing so for a month, right? She was still like second trimester pregnancy. So Amelia had no idea that the police had wired the car and she began reporting to Lise, quote, I was not there and that she had nothing to do with the murder. As questioning continued, Heather's story changed and she just continued to incriminate herself even more. Eventually, Amelia's role in the murder of Heather developed on its own. And Amelia attempted to frame herself as attempting to assist police by talking to Michelle Mm. and claimed to have lied to the police to help the investigation. She, Amelia then shared with her defense team that she made a false confession. She claimed that if police eliminated her as a suspect, her kids would be released from state foster care. However, the police recording was um, Michelle asking questions, Amelia answering them. Mm -hmm. Like it was clear. Yeah. Amelia insisted Josh framed her. However, two witnesses confirmed that Amelia offered a man named Jason $500 to kill Heather. And another witness was able to corroborate that. Stupid. Yeah. So on December 7th, 2010, Amelia was convicted of first degree murder. She continues to say she's innocent, and I don't understand how I can be convicted of murder for a lie. The defense team attempted to fight the death penalty by humanizing Amelia and sharing Amelia's childhood sexual abuse and sharing um, that Amelia has had difficulty making connections. However, it wasn't enough. It only took the jury two hours to have that discussion, and um, on February 22nd, 2011, she was sentenced to death. Josh claims he's not guilty and that it was all Amelia. Heather's kids were adopted by a family member and um, they're living a happy life. Amelia's defense team and Amelia's mother do believe she's innocent, though. You know, and in the interview, Amelia um, shared that she's locked in her cell 24 hours a day and only gets to go outside three times a week for like maybe an hour. And that's consistent across 
death row. Person's on death row across the U.S. It's like you're by yourself 23, 24 hours a day. Yeah. They basically kill you before they kill you. Yeah. But however, in the interview with Diane Sawyer, Amelia reports that she doesn't call it death row, but life row. Um, She does not think of execution, claiming that when she thinks about it, she's already dead. You know, if you keep that's the mindset. She's currently 35 years old and the youngest woman on death row. She maintains she did not kill Heather, however, was reluctant to say more. Um, because she's a, was appealing her sentence at that time. She did share she is sorry for the pain Heather and her family are going through. And before the interview ended, Amelia had asked a couple questions, which we've asked on this show before, actually. So one in 25 people on death row are innocent, and 75% of people in jail cannot afford an attorney. These were statistics back in like 2014. Amelia didn't have any money, and Josh was able to hire like a high power attorney, and she got death penalty and he got life in prison she asked how many rich people are in prison and how many rich people are on death row everyone in jail is a minority or doesn't have money Mm. equality is an illusion she asked why do you think there's such a desire to make women look so bad on in the media she referenced jody arias so you know she's coping at this time she was still on death row coping by praising god in the process um and trying to humanize herself and show you know we're here on death row but we're we're people too Wow. She seemed very aware and conscious of others. Well, one she, thing she said was that she reads a lot. And, you know, when you go to prison or in jail, you encounter different life stories, different places, and you hear all these stories, then I'm sure that you she's educating herself on this. Yeah. So Amelia appeared, appealed <laughs> her death sentence in 2015. However, her sentence was affirmed. She filed another appeal claiming insufficient assistance of counsel. And on May 26, 2017, Amelia was resentenced to life without parole. And this happened just right after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled the death penalty unconstitutional in January of 2016. So after the U.S. Supreme Court ruling, Florida's death sentence scheme became a topic of debate and revision. And the Florida Supreme Court released an opinion in October 2016 calling for you have to have a unanimous vote of a jury before you can sentence someone to death. It has to be a unanimous all across the line. But Florida is still kind of figuring out this final details. So now Amelia Carr is serving life without parole. Oh, wow. So she got her sentence appealed. And that was it. Hmm. That was Amelia Carr. What did they say? What happened to her baby? Was it also adopted by some? Um, It was probably still she had. Three kids. So it didn't say anything. I tried looking specifically what happened to her baby. She have, I bet, you know, she probably had her kid while she was in jail and in state custody with her other kids. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. that's my guess. Well, I'm also going to talk about a Florida case. Wow. I'm going to tell you about Linda Lyon Block. She was born February 8th, 1948 in Orlando, Florida. Her parents were Berlene Elizabeth Owen and her father, Francis Stephen Lyon. She had a sister named Denise. Her mom really liked spelling with Y's instead of I's. <laughs> so Linda and her sister Denise, who was just a little younger than her, she was born in 1952, they lost their father when she was 10. He died of heart failure. So then uh, Linda said that her mother and her were never close. She claimed that her mom was both physically and mentally abusive. Her second husband, George Sibley, also born in 1942. Wow, their birthdays are almost identical. He's September 8th, 1942. She's February 8th. Oh, never mind. She was born in 1948. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Not birthday twins. Uh, (laughs) 
so her husband, George Sibley, said that she was very into charity. While living in Kiwa, she served as secretary of the Humane Society, also as an animal abuse investigator. She was active in civic work besides her service to the Humane Society. For two years, she served as president of the Friends of the Library in Key West and served as publicity director for a mayoral candidate. She came from a pretty prominent, uh, wealthy, educated family. So before the crime that led her to her conviction, she published Liberatus, a political magazine, and she came from a high social standing that many were shocked to learn of her crime. Her and her husband, George, were fugitives. They failed to appear in court on an assault charge in Orlando. On October 4th, 1993, Linda and George and their nine-year-old son were sitting in a parked car in the parking lot of a Walmart store in Opelika, Alabama. Then a passerby was like, hmm, it looks like... That kid wants help. So she goes to the Opelika police and tells Sergeant Roger Motley that it appeared as if the boy wanted help. And she also believed the family could be living in the vehicle. So at that time, George and Linda were on the run. So Sergeant Motley cruised around the lot and parked behind George's car. He approached the vehicle and asked for George Sibley's license. And by George's own account, he was explaining to the officer who'd asked for a driver's license why he was not required to have one. When he observed the officer placing his hand on his service revolver, George drew his gun and began shooting at the police officer, who then obviously returned fire and he wounded George and then uh, took cover behind his control car. I mean, patrol car. <laughs> Witnesses said that George fired first. Linda was at a payphone. She heard the gunfire. She drew her gun. Witnesses said that she was in a crouched position like a professional marksman when she fired. She claimed that she fired just as she stopped running toward the officer. And as Officer Motley turned to face Linda, she fired again, hitting him in the chest. So unfortunately, this officer had just given his bulletproof vest to a rookie officer. So he was mortally wounded. They fled in their vehicle until they hit a roadblock. Linda said her goodbyes to her young son, and initially the two were contemplating suicide, but thinking of their son, they decided to surrender. They had f several firearms and a thousand rounds of, rounds of ammunition in the car. Jesus. So they were part of an anti-government movement or a sovereign citizen movement named the Patriots. George and Linda renounced their citizenship, destroyed their birth certificates, their driver's license and social security cards. They refused to cooperate with their court-appointed attorneys, maintaining that they had acted in self-defense. They also maintained that Alabama didn't have authority to try them as it was not properly readmitted into the Union after the American Civil War. Hmm. Although it could not be determined who fired the fatal shot, they were both convicted of capital, capital murder and sentenced to death. Linda. For killing a police officer. Mm -hmm. So Linda represented herself at trial and it, and it only lasted four days. Wow. The, yeah. Like Tiffany Moss. I know. It's like, why would she you? just sit there too? I don't. <laughs> well, she's well, actually a very intelligent woman. I don't know if it was like a protest thing or what. Yeah. So the jury deliberated less than an hour and issued a death sentence via electric chair. Good God. And this was a chair nicknamed Yellow Mama. What? Yeah. Linda maintained she was defending her husband and, and didn't issue the actual fatal shot, but she entered death row on December 21st, 1994. 
While on death row, she was held at the Julia Tutwiler Prison for Women in Wetapunka, Wetumpka, Alabama. Her cell, actually, I watched like a whole YouTube video about mm. her. Her cell opened to a patio so she could plant things. She hung laundry. She could exercise and read out there. Should be like that for all yeah. people incarcerated. Right. During her time on death row, she was interviewed by this writer, Tahir Shah, who included her reflections in his book, Travels with Myself. And there was a chapter titled Women on Death Row. In her very candid responses, she reflects on the incident that got her sentenced to death and her reaction upon hearing the sentence and what it was like to live on death row. He actually shared it on YouTube, which when I clicked on the video of him, it was definitely not her. But then I found a different video that Mm -hmm. was like mostly about her, but was not with that dude. So I don't know. Confused. Uh, Before the execution, three friends came to visit Linda in her final holding chamber for several hours. She had not requested a final meal. She didn't make a final statement. She was asked if she wanted to say anything. She was like, no, there's nothing else to say. So she had so she was allowed to choose two witnesses to to her death. And she chose her spiritual advisor, Sally Michaud, as the only person to view her death. Although Sally didn't attend the execution, but the two witnesses were members of the victim's family. So it was Officer Motley's sister, Betty Ann Foshi, and their mother, Ann Motley. At approximately 12 midnight, Linda entered the execution chamber wearing a white prison outfit. Her shaved head was covered with a black Mm. hood. At 12.01 a.m., the current was turned on. 2,050 volts of electricity were applied to her body for 20 seconds. And then 250 volts for 100 seconds. So a minute, almost two minutes of 250 volts. That sounds fucking awful. At 12.10 a.m., she was pronounced dead. She was the last person to be electrocuted in Alabama and the first woman woman executed in the state since 1957. So she was executed May 10th, 2002, and her execution occurred at the Holman Correctional Facility near Atmore, Alabama. Wait, so in 2002, that I don't know, that was 27 years ago. Nine, I'm sorry, 17 years ago. They mm-hmm. were still electrocuting people? Uh, in Alabama. But, uh, yeah. So I don't know why that just all just, like, it wasn't that long ago they stopped using the electric chair. It's fucking mind-blowing. Right? Well, um, well that they're, her, they're still sending these people to death, but whatever. Anyway. Yeah, it's, it's barbaric. Barbaric, yeah. <laughs> so her husband, George, filed a handwritten petition asking the Alabama Supreme Court to block his execution, claiming... Now he's throwing her under the bus and she's dead, claiming that Linda had fired the shot. However, he was executed on August 4th, 2005 by lethal injection. Wow. Yeah. Was that the lady on the cover of the serial killer coloring book I gave you? No, that was Velma. I bet she's in it, though. I actually need to go through and look at it. Oh, yeah. I meant to look through it for um, inspiration, but I... This time I specifically wanted to look at someone mm-hmm. who had been executed, and I was expecting to get, like, really old crimes, but this was literally... Oh, which is crazy. And then the electric chair was involved. Like, that's just fucking mind-blowing to yeah. me. Yeah. And they put a hood over her. What is this, the guillotine? Like, it might as well fucking be... Shit! You should just decapitate people if you're right? gonna... Get- oh, I shouldn't say that, but, you know... If you're gonna go that far, shit. Well... They put a hood over the executionee and the executioner. And the guillotine? No, for, like, uh, any... Really? Uh, execution, yeah. When? Now? All of them. Yeah, they don't let you see the executioner. I don't know if they still oh. were. I know whenever it was, like, um, electrocution, 
the person who was being electrocuted had to wear a rubber black hood, and then the executioner wore a black hood so that you couldn't see who they were. That um, makes sense. I d- the identity part isn't what got me. It's the safety part. It's like you're not seeing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's rumors that Ted Bundy was executed by a woman. Like it, that it was a woman who pulled the voltage. Wow. Yeah. So how do they identify executioners? That's a good question. I'm going to research that. Like how they choose yeah. who's going to do it. Oh, God. I have um, a headline I wanted to read from True Crime Headlines. If you don't follow them on Instagram, they share like headlines across um, their feed and a little clip of the story. And then they have a link of the story. So Russian historian found with body parts of lover. So this Russian history professor of this university was found in a icy river trying to dump dismembered remains of his lover in an icy river yeah so he was busted with the bag of her arms yeah just her arms in the rucksack trying to dump it so he got busted in the act holy shit and then they found her head in his flat as well as the shotgun knives and that axe and ammunition oh my god yeah so anastasia yeschenko age 24 had been living with him his name is oleg sokolov a prominent Russian historian. They'd been living together for three years prior to her murder. He admitted to shooting Miss Yashchenko four times with a Shonoff shotgun. Oh my God. And then chopping up the body with a saw and kitchen knife. So in the bag with her body was also a stun pistol. He alleged that she attacked him with a knife. And at that point he shot her um, during a blazing row. Oh my God. Yeah. So me following up that story like he was busted red fucking handed yeah no pun intended because it was her arms Uh, but like that's just so sad well what a fucking idiot it's gross he's a piece of shit and evil and very stupid what about men (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking of men you the show on netflix season two is out and it's pissing me off I swear to God, if they try to romanticize him and make him into a good guy, I'm gonna flip out. Yeah, and before this, Mondial and I were talking about this sub-storyline that develops in the show, and it makes you almost, how do we describe it? Like, root for him in kind of a way, or like, he portrayed as this hero? Right, they're trying to like get you to like root for him, for him protecting this young girl from this creep. yeah. It's a mind fuck, and we're watching a... These are all red flags. Every single thing he's doing is yeah. a red flag. Like, this is why I don't talk to people while I'm out, because I don't want to get... I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you'd never fucking know. So that's pissing me off. Also, there's a lot... I finished it already, and I've already seen a lot of mismatched like, things. Well, there's like, a lot of plot holes I've yeah. already noticed, like, watching it. Because I got... Greg into it although he's now over it he's like I'm mad at this show this part didn't make sense where, where did she go what's going on here and I'm like yeah there's a lot of plot, plot holes well and there's a lot season. of just blatant fuck ups like are you at the part where they trip acid on accident you'd remember it it's like the last okay. three episodes well they write the time they started tripping acid on the arm and for the flashbacks and flash forwards the time changes oh my god <laughs> And then something happens at the end and he's trying to figure out who did it. And it happened in his cage thing. I'm trying not to give away spoilers, but I don't think I'm giving away anything. Yeah. He's trying to figure out who did it, but he said he had nanny cams on it. 
Right? He's, it's just so fucking stupid. I'm yes. over it. I will never watch another episode of You, even if it comes out on season three. Mark my words. Yeah. It's, I'm done with it. It was a total waste Damn of a day. Because <laughs> I'm only on episode like five. It's awful. It's awful. Why did they do that? I mean, it's entertaining. It reminds me a whole lot of um, the direction Revenge was going. Like, the re- Revenge just spiraled down into, like, bad Yeah. Drama. It's because when they want to try and keep it going, they yeah. try to get all elaborate with shit. And it's like, nope, you should have stick, stuck to what you were doing, yep. stuck to what you knew, ended it how people wanted it to fucking end. Mm-hmm. Instead of letting this guy keep killing people and turning him into some sort of anti-hero, whatever Well, the fuck. what's happening with him was what happened with Ted Bundy. He's starting to be romanticized. And yeah. it's like... And you know what? When the part I'm watching where they're at the Welkind, him walking around looking for his ex, I'm like, this reminds me of Ted Bundy at the fucking fair when he got two girls, two women from the same fair. And I'm like, people are going to think I'm obsessed with Ted Bundy, but Penn Badgley in this show, all I can think of is Ted Bundy. Yeah. Same phenotype, body type, whatever. It it absolutely totally is. I've, and also on Twitter, everyone keeps calling him, uh, what's his fucking name on Gossip Girl? <laughs> what is his act? Everyone keeps calling him um, fucking what? I don't know. I never watched Gossip Girl because I think this guy was actually Gossip Girl. I don't know. Um, but Oh, Dan. Dan Humphrey. Yes. Everyone said, this is Dan Humphrey. <laughs> yeah. Twitter went on it. Our mom's watching it now, so I tried not to spoil it for her yesterday, but it's just fucking sick. Yeah, the first season was so much better. Oh, 100%. Well, now it's getting predictable. Yeah. Oh, I've predicted the whole thing so far. What like something. Six? I'm on five. Oh. Like something that happened. I predicted something in the second episode that happened in episode five. I was like, oh, there it is. It happened. So it is very predictable. Well, I have a feeling they're going to do season three based on how two ended. God. It, it's like a pseudo cliffhanger. Like it could absolutely end, but they're probably going to keep doing it. And yeah, it's just not good. So, yeah. <sighs> anyway, I'm sad the holidays are over, actually. I'm not sad Christmas is over. Well, because I, how busy I was. But I mean, the excitement of the something. excitement of it in the shows and the movies. Yeah. Like, can I still watch I Christmas movies? Yeah. I like Christmas movies. I do, too. I don't really like Christmas music much. I didn't do much Christmas musicking this no. season. Like one of the stations turns into all Christmas music after Thanksgiving. Yeah. But. Now it's gone. Anyway, what are you going to say? Well, now we're ending an era. A decade is ending. Oh, yeah. It's about to be the 20s again. We're all going to see really clear next year, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just open your eyes. Trust your gut, you know. Power to the people. Yes. Power to the people. And remember, be kind to each other. Be cool. Oh, yeah. And if you see potholes or cracks in the sidewalk... Remember that that tax money is going to militarized police. So, yep, go to them for your issues. Because <laughs> 311 is shut down. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. Well, Happy New Year. Happy 2020. Happy Thank 2020. you, everyone, so much for listening to us and being here with us and continuing to share with your friends, like, subscribe, download. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Earthen now. Oh, yeah. Got our website. Bing, bang, boom. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. Happy New Year. Bye-bye.
拜。